0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at That's BYTE.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE.
1: The week two preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with, and that's why I will always recommend my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are the best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. That is why I am urging you to make your way to MyBookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. Like tonight, who knew A.J. Green was going to th- score three touchdowns in the first half of this this uh, Bengals-Ravens game? Bananas join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar use promo code bears 100 to activate the offer visit my bookie online today that's my bookie, m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e and don't forget to use my promo code bears 100 when creating your account to claim up to one thousand dollars in free play my bookie you play you win you get paid this week on the bears talk underground with Sunday night's collapse and Green Bay in their rear view, our beloved look ahead to their home opener, a Monday night date with Seattle Seahawks looking to avoid digging an early season hole and an 0-2 start for the fourth season in a row. Can the Bears regroup for Monday night, or are they forever shook? Spike Friedman from the Locked On Seahawks podcast joins us as our guest for the week two preview episode of The Bears Talk Underground. Sunday night cannot get here fast enough to see if our beloved can shake the the, the funk of this Green Bay collapse off of us and get forever past the Aaron Rodgers lore of what he did uh, on Sunday night. And uh, (laughs) what he did, of course, differs from uh, who you talk to from one place uh, to the next. Did he just uh, have an amazing performance like Aaron Rodgers does uh, on a bad knee? Or uh, did he play on one leg? You know, I've I've seen that written and and said I've heard it said many times. He did it on one leg. Did he really? Or did he just play on a? bad <laughs> Just do it on a bad leg. I mean, I'm pretty sure he had two legs out there and uh on or, or you know or if you want to be more specific, he had one good leg out there and uh just I don't know. The, the, it is drifting into sour grapes territory and, and only because. It won't stop. So I can't wait for week two to get here so Rodgers can either do something amazing or get smashed by the Vikings over the weekend, and then the Bears thing can can at least go away for a little while. And uh, that's why I want week two to get here. And I also desperately want Monday night to already get here uh, so that we can see how the Bears respond to what happened on Sunday night. I think that will truly be the – the uh, measuring stick on, on what this team is going to do this year. If we come out in our home opener, national television against a decent football team, uh, you know, also starting out 0 1, also in a desperate situation, looking to avoid the 0 um, 2 hole that the Bears are staring at. The Seahawks also lost. Uh, on Sunday, uh, on the road at Denver, so it was. Uh, it wasn't the the collapse that the Bears had to suffer. It was very much a, a back and forth football game. They had the lead late in the game, and then Denver took the lead, uh, you know, to uh, to win it. But uh, you know, nonetheless, uh, they had a chance to win their game on Sunday as well, and couldn't pull the trigger, uh, much like the Bears. And um, now the both teams are zero and one, and looking to avoid that dreaded zero and two hole, especially. For both of these teams, Seattle, uh, you know, looking to get back to the to the playoffs. They were nine and seven a year ago. Uh, you know, like I said, looking to get back and the Bears trying to prove themselves to be a playoff team. And as everyone will tell you, the statistics are heavily against you if you start zero and two on making the playoffs. And so this, this is a, a you, you, you would hate to think that the second week of the season is a must win situation. But as far as the, the hopes and aspirations that this team has, you know, as, as much as we talk about and you'll actually hear in my interview with Spike uh, Friedman from the Locked on Seahawks podcast uh, 2019, you know, kind of is being, you know, penciled in as that year that the Bears are going to be serious contenders. But, um, you know, never mind that it's 2018 now and this team wants to make the playoffs this year. They don't want to, you know, just play the season because it's here and then 2019 really ramp it up. The Bears want to make a mark in 2018 and um this is uh this is the game that they need to they need to bounce back from that loss in Green Bay. This is a very important contest. Maybe not in must-win territory, but you're definitely feeling some pressure uh and, and you don't want to fall to 0 and 2 uh when you have uh when you have the hopes and aspirations that this team does. So um like I said, Spike Friedman from the Locked On Seahawks podcast, having him back. We had him on earlier in the summer when we were doing our opponent preview episodes. Had a great conversation with him then. Uh a, a very entertaining conversation had with him uh last night on Wednesday. And uh <laughs> we have a uh, uh conversation on, on on how Spike is making it through what what he forecasts to be not that great a season ahead. Uh, for the Seahawks and and one of those things just happens to be uh, his punter and uh, we have a nice little uh, chit chat about punters Uh, there I was somewhere towards the middle of the conversation I believe uh, that I think you guys uh, will enjoy so he is gushing over this punter and and it was just uh, something that caught my eye over the weekend when I was watching the games Uh, Spike and I of course we follow each other uh on twitter and he was just saying he was writing love notes to this guy michael dixon is his name uh uh, on twitter about how amazing he was you'll hear him talk about uh you know one of the greatest statistical games according to pro football focus in the last five years and he averaged 69 yards a punt against the broncos on sunday and so on and so forth so you get to listen to to that you'd think he'd gush over or over the, the the performance earl thomas had basically coming off the street uh you know russell wilson three touchdown passes and near 300 yards passing no he's going on and on about michael dixon <laughs> the punter uh for the seahawks so that was uh, interesting uh to go through so real quick we're going to do our news and notes before we get to our conversation with spike um there was a story and uh I wrote it down when I read it so that I could mention it here uh, on the show. And then when I went back to try to find it to get quotes and stuff, I can't find it now, which is kind of irritating me. But it was uh, from it was kind of a it was an article that was summarizing an interview or a radio spot or something that Jason Lockenfour, the NFL Insider, did, and basically saying that the reason that the Bears didn't play uh, Trubisky and their starters in the preseason. Um, was more so because they they didn't think it would go well with Trubisky at quarterback, which is kind of a backwards way of 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 thinking. About you know, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. If if they weren't happy with what Trubisky was doing, then why wouldn't they put him out there to get him the reps that he needs, the live game reps that he needs in order to get closer to where they want him to be it doesn't make any sense why would they not put him on the field it it, it doesn't make sense it doesn't I mean with with you know especially with the first game that we have Trubisky's is going to be on a national stage going head-to-head with Aaron Rodgers if you don't think it's going to go well <laughs> why is he the starter you know with I mean just look at the way that you know the limited that we saw from from Trubisky and then the way that Chase Daniel kind of wrapped up the preseason wouldn't you think that if they weren't happy with Trubisky that they would just start chase Daniel I mean it's it's not like it was last year when we're trying to bench a 16 million dollar quarterback in lieu of a rookie draft choice chase Daniel I believe is either making the same or just a little bit more money than Trubisky salary wise this year i mean i know that we brought him in to be that the nick Foles uh to trubisky's carson wentz to have a quality backup god forbid if something happens because the, the eagles taught us that if nothing else uh last year but um you know especially with the way they performed and chase daniels gotten much better as the as the see the preseason uh went along especially that dress rehearsal game against kansas city he was outstanding uh in the kansas city game so you know he and and all the the second teamers just ran right over uh the chiefs in that dress rehearsal game. It was a very impressive uh to see that, and you walked away feeling better about chase Daniel if that was the case, why isn't Chase Daniel the starting quarterback if we're not if we're thinking it's not going that's the thing that it they popped up a few times in the article. They didn't think it would go well that's why they didn't play him as much in the preseason to me that's completely backwards if they didn't think it would go well, why wouldn't they put him out there more? to get them the live game reps that he needs. it's just, it just makes no sense. And then he goes on to say that um, that's the reason that the bears went out and got Khalil Mack and gave him quote unquote quarterback money because they don't think or don't feel or believe that they're going to have to pay Pinch Trubisky quarterback money a few years from now. Also ridiculous. Uh, They went out and, and paid Khalil Mack because Ryan Pace Wants to win and he wants to win now. And getting Khalil Mack is our best chance to do so. Number and, and number two, Khalil Mack filled a huge void that we had on the defensive side of the ball. We needed a bookend to Leonard Floyd. We needed a premier pass. We need a pass rush period. The you know, Leonard Floyd is, is going to be a good football player these days. And with Khalil Mack in tow, he, it, he might actually get there a lot faster than he would have uh, on his own. You know, because Khalil Mack, especially after the performance he had in that Green Bay game, he's going to draw the attention and get Leonard Floyd the one on one matchups that he needs, he's going to need in order to blossom and become the pass rusher that he wants to become. And we do have this quarterback on the rookie contract for the next three to four seasons. That's why we went out and got Khalil Mack and paid him all that money now. Because we can afford to before Trubisky gets his big money contract. Believe me, Ryan Pace believes three, four seasons from now, we're going to have to belly up to the table and pay Mitch Trubisky because he's going to be the quarterback. He's going to be the Aaron Rodgers of this franchise. That's, you know, if you ask Ryan Pace, that's what he would tell you. You know, not this nonsense that Jason Lockenfora is trying to get us to believe is that, you know, the, the... the, the, you know, the, there's trouble in, in paradise as far as the Trubisky thing. And if, if Nagy truly believed that, why would he take that job? Why would he take the job? He's an offensive-minded guy. Why would he come to Chicago if he didn't believe Trubisky was his guy? You know, I mean, you heard the guy gush over Trubisky about how Kansas City was looking at him, and if he was there that, that you know, they were going to stay about trading up to to get him and so on and so forth, and they went out and got... Uh, Mahomes instead because Trubisky was off the board almost immediately thanks to the Bears so I mean it just uh, the the whole it just didn't make any sense you know it didn't make me nervous or anything like that it just like who who who, number one who was telling you this what's your source you know it just it just sounded all like nonsense because nothing he said made sense he went out and got Khalil Mack and paid him quarterback money because they're not going to have to pay Trubisky quarterback money ridiculous. We went out and got Khalil Mack because he was the best defensive player a in the league b available and c filled a tremendous need that the Bears had on the uh on the defensive side of the of the football. I mean, if the Bears don't trade that pick, we're probably looking to use that pick on a potential Khalil Mack in next year's draft because I don't know what the pass rushing uh free agency class uh is looking like, but it doesn't have a Khalil Mack in it so we're probably looking to to draft that pass rusher in the first round of next year's draft if we don't make that play for for Khalil Mack so and you pay Khalil Mack because that's what it takes to get Khalil Mack so you know we we have to pay the guy if we want to keep him we got him locked up for the next 6 years so uh, i i don't see any issue with what the bears are doing and it didn't throw up any red flags or or anything like that it was a bad night or a bad half actually in the fir- in the fir- if the article was written after the first half that it you know it, it doesn't talk about trouble in paradise or, or any of that nonsense it's it's talking about what an amazing first half uh, trubisky had uh you know throwing the football and you know making things happen with his feet and so on and so forth that he looked polished and he outplayed aaron Rodgers in the first half of that game but then the second half happened and trubisky got shaky and some things didn't go well he didn't turn over the football or make any ba- or make any you know dire mistakes or anything like that. He just didn't play as well as he did in the first half, and the Bears ended up losing the game. And now Lock and Foro thinks that uh, you know the sky is falling uh, in Chicago. It's not. So anyway, speaking of the Green Bay game, two of our uh, two of our players, uh, Prince Mookamora, Anthony Miller, have something to say about that game. Uh, first, Mukamura saying that the Bear he doesn't think that he and his teammates are going to get over. Uh, that loss and uh, i didn't really get to see the or read the full context of what he said but i'm hoping that it's one of those things i'm hoping what he meant was it's in the back of it's always going to be in the back of our mind as motivation so that something like that never happens again when you've got a team in the spot that the bears had green bay in on sunday you put your foot down on their throat and you don't keep pressing until they're dead you know you don't uh, you don't let them breathe life into themselves you don't let them seep any air into those lungs you just keep leaning until it stops <laughs> and that's what you got to do and then anthony miller gotta love this kid in his declaration his declarations vows the bears won't collapse again this season so you gotta love the kid i love the way he does that and then finally uh coach Nagy saying that uh Roquan Smith has earned more playing time. So it didn't mention if that meant he was finally going to start, but it did uh he did say that Roquan has earned more playing time. And you want to know what's so funny about this whole Khalil Mack thing? Was that even though I've been talking about Roquan Smith the whole week leading up to the game. My immediate thought when Danny Trevathan, you know, got hurt for that that minute or two and had to leave the game, and Roquan Smith comes running onto the field. My first thought was, "Oh yeah, Roquan Smith, of course." Ain't you no, know, it wasn't. It wasn't like finally Roquan gets out there. It was like, "Oh yeah, we got Roquan Smith too. This is gonna be great." And then on the first play, the kid goes there and gets a sack on his first play. But it's you know, it's like once he gets out there and becomes part of the part of the mix, I, I really do think that defense is going to be. Something to behold, not that it wasn't on Sunday night with Kwiatkowski out there, but obviously Roquan takes it up a notch uh, being out there on every play. So uh, Nagy says he's earned more playing time. He only played eight snaps on Sunday night against Green Bay. Uh, I think he will easily surpass that uh, on Monday night. And then the last thing I have for you guys is the injury report for this week. Um, I, I, I guess today is the first day that they practice since they have the extra day uh, to get ready for uh, the game on Monday, uh, Houston uh, Carson, whose name first name is DeAndre Houston Carson, that's his first name. DeAndre Houston Carson did not practice, still nursing that uh, that bad forearm that he busted in the uh, in the preseason. And Kyle Long did not practice today with an ankle injury. I hope it's not the one that's been bothering him for the last two seasons. And um, I'm hoping that there was like ankle soreness or something like that so they gave him the day off uh kind of thing because the last thing that i wanted to see was kyle long's name on this damn injury report again uh bryce callahan was limited with a knee injury and daniel brown was full go with a shoulder injury on the seahawks side there's a lot of names on this list. Um, guard D.J. Fluker was out with a hamstring. K.J. Wright, the linebacker, and Bobby Wagner both out with injuries. Wright with a knee, Bobby Wagner with a groin. Doug Baldwin was out with a knee injury. They say he's going to be out a few weeks, so the Bears won't have to worry about him on Monday night. Trey Flowers was out with a hamstring injury today, and Earl Thomas looks like he was just a uh, he was being rested today. Both Deion Jordan, the defensive end, and safety Bradley McDougal were uh, both limited with knee injuries, and Frank Clark, the pass rusher for the Seahawks, was full go despite an elbow injury. So there's your injury report for Thursday, the only day that the, both teams have practiced thus far uh, this week. So there you have it. And uh, before we get to our conversation with uh mr spike friedman from the locked on seahawks podcast i want to remind you guys to join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to a thousand dollars in free play use the promo code bears 100 to activate the offer visit my bookie online today that's my bookie my b-o-o-k-i-e and don't forget to use the promo code bears 100 my bookie you play you win you get paid and now without further ado me and my new friend spike friedman from the locked on seahawks podcast previewing the week two matchup on monday night between our beloved chicago bears and the seattle seahawks You know, usually week two games aren't what people consider to be must win, but when you start 0 1, you don't want to fall into an 0 2 hole. And that's what both teams, the Bears and the Seahawks, are looking at on Monday night. And here to help me talk about this week two matchup. Very interesting. Monday night football, national television, two 0 1 teams looking to avoid an 0 2 hole. Spike Friedman from the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Spike, welcome back to the show, man.
2: Thanks for having me, Larry
1: so let's talk about this uh the the broncos game uh, on sunday we were talking about it just briefly here before we got started um i was kind of watching the ticker you know go along at, throughout the game on sunday in the in the afternoon and, and noticed that as far as the ticker was concerned it looked like it was very much a a back and forth it was seven seven at one time i know this uh, brandon marshall one of my favorite bears of all time caught a touchdown pass uh, like in the second half, to tie it up at 17. You guys had the lead late, but then it finally came across the ticker. Denver won the game. and How did that all happen?
2: Yeah, I think what you're going to see with this Seahawks team is that it's very thin and that a lot of times in years past, especially at the peak of the Legion of Boom era, the Seahawks finished games really strong, and it was a combination. Yeah, on the one hand, it's Russell Wilson magic a lot, But the other big factor was defensive line depth. The pass rush got better. The run defense got better as the game went on. I mean, in our Super Bowl winning season, Michael Bennett played like something like 55, 60 percent of the snaps. We had that much depth on the defensive line. That's not the case anymore. This team is shallow. And when the when it came down to the end of the game, the Broncos' offensive line bossed the Seahawks' defensive line and was able to really keep running the ball, getting you know picking up four or five yards of carry on the ground and keeping Case Keenum clean, and that doesn't bode well. Mm-hmm. So the big story for me was that the Seahawks didn't close that game well, and then you can add in a random fumble from Russell Wilson that blew a lot of time off the clock. There were a lot of issues going on really comes down to the Seahawks team is just okay the Denver team isn't great either and when it came to who could control the clock Denver just was a much better team at the end of that game
1: yeah I was just looking at that time of possession 35 to 25 in favor of the uh, Broncos and I mean because it's statistically it, it doesn't really I mean weigh too heavily in Denver's favor I mean 470 to 306 in total yards that's a big deficit of course where the big um, margin of error there is the 146 yards the Broncos had to 64 for the for the Seahawks and I was looking at the stats just a minute ago and that's
2: when, that's the rushing yards yes
1: that's the yeah that's the rushing yards and that uh, Freeman and Lindsay both had 71 yards apiece for the Broncos averaging just under five yards a carry where in the Seahawks you had uh, Carson had 51 yards and then you're your top draft pick, that Rashad Penny, that uh, that running back that you guys definitely needed uh, instead of like a pass rusher or o- offensive line depth or something like that, was seven carries for eight yards on Sunday. Yeah. So it made, made a solid debut as a, as a Seahawk on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I came on your podcast this summer and talked about how much I did not like that <laughs> right. pick. And I said, even if Rashad Penny played at an MVP at a Todd Gurley level, I still would question that pick because of the value of a first rounder in terms of longevity on your team and just how few running backs can provide value after five seasons with the same team. It just doesn't happen very often. Rashad Penny's not a generational talent. Now, I don't think we've seen the best of him. I don't think he is a below-replacement-level rusher. He was coming back from a hand surgery. He didn't look like he was at full speed. But, it, man, Chris Carson looked great. Chris Carson is a weapon. Chris Carson, I don't know if you saw the highlight of him hurtling a cornerback and going off for 20 yards. I mean, he was busting off explosive runs. He had a big play called back for a holding penalty that wasn't necessary to spring him. Like, Carson looks excellent. And looking ahead to this matchup with the Bears, he is going to be the guy getting the bulk of the snaps. Pete Carroll said as much in his press conference on Tuesday, and he's going to be a threat in both the passing and running game. And the question is, can the Seahawks get a screen game going? I mean, we know the Broncos have a great pass rush with Von Miller. We know you guys now have a great pass rush with Khalil Mack and potentially Roquan Smith getting more snaps. I mean, you guys are pretty scary up front. Yeah. Can we keep you off balance with Chris Carson and the fact that our first round pick, especially in a year where we didn't have a second rounder and looking backwards, we didn't have a second rounder last year either, to to give to to basically use our one major draft asset on what's going to be a rotational running back, it's just it's a catastrophe. It was a bad pick the moment it happened. Doesn't mm-hmm. look better after one week. Hopefully, it gets better.
1: Sure. I mean, we 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 did spend some time on that when he had you on uh, over the summer, and and it's just like it, it. He wasn't the best player on the board at the time. There were so many other players there at the time that would definitely not not only you know were, would have been ranked ahead uh, of Penny, but but as far as um, you know, other players that would have filled other spots, need areas. Yeah, for you guys, that uh, would have been a better selection at the time. I know we're only one game into it, but it definitely, you know, you like you said, you weren't happy with the pick. Then you're definitely not happy with it now, especially seeing some of the deficits that took place on Sunday. I see that Wilson got sacked six times uh, on Sunday, and I'm sure that those weren't the only six times that he was under pressure. Correct?
2: No, they weren't. I will say. And this is a bit of an unpopular opinion, but I don't think the Seahawks offensive line was as disastrous as the stat line looks. A couple of those sacks were coverage sacks. And those are issues in and of themselves. The fact that Doug Baldwin injured, the fact that our receiving core is leaning hard on Brandon Marshall, who well, when he was with the Bears, was a world-class receiver, is now sure. 34, right. and certainly passes prime. Tyler Lockett, you mentioned, an explosive guy, but not a down-to-down sort of bell cow receiver. Similarly, Jimmy Graham, got, you, you know, we don't have that weapon who can pick you up 8 to 12 yards. We don't have Golden Tate anymore. With Baldwin out, it's really, really tough for us to just move the ball with a quick passing game. Quick passing's how you beat a guy like Vaughn Miller who's going to dominate on the edge. He got his. I mean, Von Miller absolutely got his. Jermaine Effetti at right tackle isn't capable of dealing with Von Miller down to down, but he did okay considering how egregious a mismatch that is. (laughs) Russell Wilson spun into two monster sacks, and this is a weird take, but this, like you said, this Seahawks offense has a bunch of big explosives, yeah. but they're not getting those, they're neither on the ground nor in the passing game. They're picking up like easy five yard gains, easy seven yard gains. And it's actually weirdly okay because of our best rookie, Michael Dixon, our punter. Like we like Russell Wilson at one point got sacked. Like he he spun into a sack that should it shouldn't have been a sack at all. It ended up being like a fourteen yard loss, I believe. Aww. And then Michael Dixon immediately flips field position with his punting. I think he pins him on like the nine from his own twenty five. I mean, it was just like lunatic punting genius that we have right now. So we're <laughs> weirdly set up to be this high explosive, but also very frustrating offense. But we're. Po- po- poised to survive it. If our defense can step up to me, that's where the hole is. The fact that we're starting rookie Trey flowers, at cornerback, the fact that our pass rush is Dion Jordan and Frank Clark and nobody else. It's scary. I mean, Quentin Jefferson's there. There are other guys, but like to me, the gaping holes on this team are second cornerback and edge rusher. It's not good enough in either of those spots. And that's tough in this league. If you can't, like, you, I mean, the Bears, they can get to the passer, and they got Kyle Fuller. You know, you guys have those weapons. You have some questions of your own. Sure. But, like, when I look at the Seahawks team, I'm like, uh-oh, on defense. Weirdly, the offense is, you know, know—I'd like another wide receiver, but there wasn't, like, Calvin Ridley probably wasn't the guy. I don't know. All of that long version of maybe the offensive line isn't the problem right now.
1: You know, and and you mentioned the the big play explosion. That's something that we talked about before we started recording was that, you know, you see the score was twenty seven, twenty-four. Um, you know, Russell Wilson threw for nearly three hundred yards and three touchdowns. He did have a couple of picks in there, but three touchdowns, nearly three hundred yards. And then you look at the the stat line, um your your rookie he's a rookie, right? The tight end?
2: Yeah, Will Disley. Will yeah, Disley, yeah,
1: yeah. hundred and five yards on three catches, but sixty six of it came on on one play. Uh t- you know, Lockett we talked about a second ago, only 59 yards receiving but 51 of them came on the touchdown uh reception. Uh your your um you know, like I said Wilson 298 yards on only 19 completions. So I mean, yeah. he he was 33 attempts, so per attempt it's not that fantastic, but per completion it's actually really good as far as like those are big chunks of yardage you're getting through the through the air. And I don't know how much of the game you saw on Sunday night, but in the second half, that's how Green Bay beat us. I mean, we, yep. we gave up big plays. It wasn't a dink and dunk, you know, nine-minute drive, 15 plays, you know, averaging five yards a play or anything like that. It was Aaron Rodgers throws a 40-yard touchdown pass, Randall Cobb turns a 10-yard hitch into a 75-yard run, uh, and so on. That's what killed the Bears in the second half was their inability to stop the big play the Seahawks kind of have to be licking their chops after watching that second-half tape uh, this week.
2: Yeah, I mean, the big question is can we scheme Russell Wilson to have the time to let those big plays develop? Sure. You know, like that, when I look at what you – I did happen to watch all that game on Sunday night, uh, and I mean, as a a neutral observer, it was wild. And I was really impressed, obviously, with the Bears' defense – for the first three quarters of that game And I mean at a certain point Aaron Rodgers Is Aaron Rodgers and there's only so much You can do against him right. uh, You should have brought down Randall Cobb In that two minutes but you know that, <laughs> things, happen. things happen I don't mean to rub that in um, But when I, when I watch it you go Oh man they're dominating The line of scrimmage early They're hurting Aaron Rodgers But what happened on Sunday With the Seahawks was Russell Wilson was very bad under pressure and usually, he is one of the league's best passers under pressure. He's had seasons where his quarterback rating under pressure is 80, 90. You know, like he's playing like an average quarterback, even when he's taking hits. I believe on Sunday, his quarterback rating under pressure was like 32. Mm. And and when he wasn't pressured, it was really high. And to me, on the one hand, you could be concerned that that's an issue going forward. For me, it was just like you watch those individual plays and you're like, man, Von Miller turned pressure like, quote-unquote, pressure into something truly devastating a few times. I mean, he at one point ripped the ball away from Chris Carson. He was just right there when Russell Wilson was about to spin and make magic happen. He shut down a couple different plays. just And and Chubb, too. I mean, that Denver edge rush is really scary. Uh, And so my question is, can the Seahawks prevent that from happening again when you've got a guy like Khalil Mack who has all those same skills and instincts? Can we keep Russell Wilson in good positions when he's under pressure? If if Russell Wilson's quarterback rating under pressure against the Bears is 80, that's bad for you guys. And that means, yes, yeah. those explosives are going to happen. We're going to hit you hard.
0: Even,
2: yeah. even if Khalil Mack gets him a couple times.
1: Right. And and it was – I mean, it, as far as the whole thing with, with, with his um... – you know, I, I don't. I, mean, I hate to use the word decline, but decline under pressure. I mean, is is that a fact that the offensive line has been an issue for the Seahawks for a couple of years, and he he might be getting, you know, I don't want to say gun shy or anything because I don't oh, think that's he's scared the back there, but you know, it's like it just maybe it seems like in, instead of being so cool because being under pressure was a rarity at the beginning of his career, and now it seems to be the 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 norm and not the exception that you know maybe he panics a little too early or he you know abandons and you know relies on his feet but you know before his arm whereas before his feet were what would hurt you you know keeping him in the pocket was most important because you kind of like Aaron Rodgers I mean even though Wilson is a much better runner but you know you want to keep Rodgers in the pocket and make him hurt you from there if you get him rolling out and playing street ball, he's the best quarterback in well, I think he's the best anyway, but he's the best quarterback in football when he's moving. And that was kind of the what, what, what Russell Wilson did. Now that he's under pressure more than he's not, I mean, do you think that really is affecting him?
2: That's the fear. That is absolutely, there is, a, there is a not insignificant contingent of the Seahawks fandom that thinks Russell Wilson's maybe not progressing the way he could and that that's a big reason why. I don't know that we know enough yet and I don't know that we're going to know enough to be able to really assess that till maybe even like week six of this year. Mm-hmm. Starting off the year against Vaughn Miller, against Khalil Mack, against Eric Donald, like it's tough. To, and Chandler Jones is mixed in there. I mean, like those are big time rushers. And it's tough. It's tough to say. I mean, and, and you know, Russ has these games where he's a little inaccurate. He's a little happy-footed. And even with that against Denver, I mean, A, one of those interceptions came on the last throw of the game where he's thrown up basically a Hail Mary. But B, we lost by three on the road at Denver, who wins every home opener for the last eight times they've had one. Like, that's not a disaster, per se. Like, right. they're, at, but again, you look at that stat sheet and you're like, on the one hand, this should have been a Seahawks win. And on the other hand, this should have been a disaster. And you sort of end up in the middle. And that's sort of what I think this Seahawks team is, is like, a team that's taking a sort of unusual path to being kind of average. Um, and that means on any given week, Russell Wilson magic can show up and we're going to beat some teams that are going to be surprising this year. I think we're going to take one from the Rams. I think Will Disley is going to have a big game against the Rams at some point based on what Jared Cook did uh, with Derek Carr for Oakland uh, on Monday. Sure, and yeah. so, you know, like, but when it, when I think about this team also, like we're going to have games where – quarterbacks like Case Keenum I mean he should have thrown four interceptions but he also threw for a ton of yards he had all the time in the world and was beating us on the outside like that's new for us Richard Sherman ain't here anymore Earl Thomas still is here Earl Thomas and Brad McDougall play out of their minds at safety they had three picks should have had a fourth and really shut down the middle of the field but those edges they are not airtight the way they used to be so we're we're just a high variance eight eight team if you ask me right now uh, and we got a tough schedule, so it could end up being seven and nine. It could end up being six and ten. So I, you know, yeah, we might be licking our chops based on what the Bears did against the Packers and how this matchup sort of could go, and it could really go either way. I mean, it could be the sort of game where Trubisky has time all day long, and Trubisky with time is a pretty dangerous thing. We saw that. He's another guy rolling out of the pocket, looks really good. Yeah, it could be the sort of game where we get just enough pressure on him. He makes bad reads, throws the ball into the ground. Russell Wilson runs away with it. You know, could it could go either way?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what's most interesting to me about that is that we saw two different teams from the Bears on Sunday night. We saw yep. we saw the team that Bear fans fantasized that this team would be all offseason. You know, and that was even before the Khalil Mack trade. We fantasized that with all these weapons on the offensive side, uh, you know, we still got a solid defense. With We added Roquan Smith to that. You know, we're, we're going to be in good shape on defense. Now it's time for the offense to step up. We're going to surprise some people and make some moves uh, this year. And then you add Khalil Mack to that. We were all just frothing at the mouth for the game to take place once they made that move last week. But then in the second half, we were inefficient on on offense. We couldn't finish drives. Defense yeah. started giving up the big plays, and and that's what's intriguing is that we we see a team in Seattle that did come up short on the road in Denver last week, but when they weren't when the where you had success is where the best is where the Bears failed the most this past Sunday, which was in stopping big plays uh, from happening. And, you know, in in a game like that, you know, Green Bay, I don't want to say they got lucky, but, you know, you pull off a couple of big plays that and that you know, the deficit went from 20 to nothing to all of a sudden the Bears are behind with three minutes to go. It can happen just that fast. They scored all 21 points in the fourth quarter. You know, it's so it's not over until it's over when you have that big playability.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and it's fair to say that the Packers got lucky given the uh, the fuller drop pick. Oh. You, you go for it. But, but, like, they make their own luck, and you make your own luck. If you go for it on fourth down late in the game, maybe you get that and just ice the clock. You know, like, you, it's it's tough to say either team got lucky. And then you look at the Seahawks-Broncos game. Similarly, look, we gave up two dumb big plays that Seahawks defense don't normally give up. We don't usually give up passing explosives on the sideline. We gave up two big ones that turned into touchdowns. And it was Case Keenum throwing the ball to, like, not Emmanuel Sanders. You know, like, I was like, what is happening right now? What is this Seahawks defense? Uh, I think that, you know, this Bears-Seahawks matchup, again, two high-variance teams in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm interested in hearing from you real quick. Sure. Where, where are you on Trubisky right now? How do you feel about that performance? Do you look at that first half and go, we got something here? Or do you look at that second half and go, uh-oh, maybe we don't have something here? Or is it somewhere in between
1: still? It's, it's, it's a, a six and one and half a dozen at the uh, in the other. Because you can't ignore the fact that they barely played throughout the preseason. Yeah. you know the bears weren't the only team that adopted that credo of of basically not putting their starters out there for 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 lack of a better term the, you know the, the first game of the season was might as well have been the dress rehearsal game because the bears didn't play anybody in the dress rehearsal game or the I mean we played 5 preseason games the the starters saw the most time playing the first half of game 3 uh against Denver that was Three three and a half weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, before the you know before the Packer uh, game, so you know a lot of people maybe chalking it up to to lack of actual game reps. Um, and, and, but as far as Trubisky himself, I was skeptical of the pick when we made it, more so because of the team we had built around him than the kid. I didn't really know much about Trubisky. All I know was that the, in the tape that I did see. Of the quarterbacks, if the Bears had to pick one, I didn't want Watson because I thought that Watson was a college quarterback that's going to have his yep. struggles at the at the NFL level, a la Vince Young or any other running uh, – Robert Griffin, you know, those guys that are, you know, as dangerous on their feet as they are with their arm and such. It's not a longevity type of career that you're dealing with, and he proved that almost immediately by blowing out his ACL eight weeks into yeah. his first season, so – you know, it's. Uh, I still wish the best. I want him to prove me wrong, but that's why I didn't want him on my team. And I like to. I like Trubisky, and and what I saw from him on film, he was the guy that I, that I wanted. So if he had to take one, he was the one that I wanted. And then when I saw him on the field, even in that first preseason game against the Broncos, his very first preseason game, he comes in, runs the two minute drill, and and this was after Mike Glennon had three or four of the most disastrous offensive drives yeah. of, of of that any quarterback has ever had. And this is a guy that we just paid. He, we paid him more money than we did Jake Cutler to come to the team and take it over. And this guy was garbage, out of the box. And then here comes Trubisky, this rookie, and leads two touchdown drives, including running the two-minute drill before halftime. And from then, people are like, why isn't this kid starting? After everything, you know, like Glennon is a joke, and he proved that to be the first four games it's like everything that we've seen from Trubisky I just have a gut feeling about I believe he is the guy I believe that and we saw how how he was in the first half he was comfortable he was slinging it all over the place making plays and and so on and so forth in the second half I I, it's like I said it's six and one and half a dozen the other as far as who I put the blame on I put blame on Nagy I think maybe we should have run the ball a bit more in the second half than we did you know, may, not even so much to, like, protect the lead or run the clock or anything like that, but to take the onus off of Trubisky or or maybe, you know, take the option, the some of those RPOs, maybe take the option away from him. Run the ball. You have Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. Run the ball. And, you know, because we, this, the third quarter, even though we only gave up one field goal in the third quarter, I think that's where we lost the game was in the third quarter because the Bears were on the field for, like, ten plays, in the third quarter, and that's the, 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 the quarter where the, the Packers were on the field for like 12 minutes out of 15 or something like that and wore the defense out. It's yeah. like we went on this long drive that we, we, we stopped them. They kick a field goal. We throw three passes and punt it right back, and our defense that was just on the field for like seven minutes has to go right back out there again. So yeah. it's like we didn't do the defense any favors in the third quarter, and I think that maybe that's why we lost steam in the fourth. And, you know, it doesn't all fall on Trubisky. He definitely made some mistakes when the game was on the line there at the end. But I still believe overall that we're going to be fine with him.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I totally agree. And when people are breaking down the mistakes he made, they weren't big turnovers. You know, they weren't pick sixes. He didn't they throw weren't... any
1: picks in the game. He exactly. didn't turn the football over at all
2: exactly it was like oh he didn't hit this pass he didn't see this this thing opening for a second or a, you know and that's stuff that can really develop I yeah. still think he's got the potential to be really good from the outside I was just super curious from the inside look I mean and also when you're trying to play a field position game late like you don't have Michael Dixon you don't know you don't know what it's like to have the greatest punter of all time you know like we you, <laughs> you up, know man
1: I've been it's been one game and we're all losing our minds but Following this your tweets, man.
3: <laughs> I love him so like, much.
1: I think like, you, you like, I wish I knew someone who lived in Australia so I could talk more about Michael Dixon or something like that. <laughs> Wasn't that one of your tweets this week?
2: No, so Yes, it 100% was. And it is real. Like, Football Outsiders put his punts at worth 3.8 points. In week one alone, he had a more valuable punting game in week one than any punter did in any single game last year. I think it was like the second best punting game in like the last five years, so like some Johnny Hecker game. I mean, he's already and he missed one. He totally shanked one punt, and he still put up that level of value. He is unbelievable and he's only going to get better. And the thing about and like I'm knocking on every piece of what I own when I say this uh-huh. which is crazy to say about a punter. But punters usually don't get the yips the way kickers do. You know, like like Vikings fans were saying the same stuff about Blair Walsh when he came up, and Lord knows I've experienced what it's like to root for Blair Walsh. It ain't fun. There's no reason to think Michael Dixon is going to become Blair Walsh. Like, this kid is awesome. He's changing the punting game. He averaged 59 yards per punt. He had a 69-yarder, and, and it went further in the air. It hooked out of bounds at the sixth. You know, like, it's just wild stuff. It's just wild. I mean, it's I couldn't be more thrilled. And in a season that for the Seahawks is just going to be less good than any of our most recent seasons. I mean, even last year, which wasn't great. We were still nine and seven. And frankly, going into week 12, we had a shot to make a run at the thing until the injuries just piled up and the Rams went into another gear. Right. This year, that ain't, that ain't this team we got to have the little things to be happy about. Dixon's a big one. Chris Carson's a big one. Will Disley's a big one. Some of those young defenders, if they can come together, if Trey Flowers can become a good CB2, amazing. That makes a year that, for Seahawks fans, is a little anomalously not great. It can make it really fun, even if we don't end up being a playoff team.
1: Yeah, you just uh, I just like re- reading your, your tweets about uh, Dixon throughout the week. And it, at first, I didn't remember who Dixon was. And then when you mentioned he was an, an Australian player, I was like, that's gotta be the punter. Yeah. Like, that has to be. There's like, and then that's when I started really watching the, the ticker on the Seahawks game I was like, are the Seahawks getting their asses kicked or something? Why is he going nuts about this kicker? And you know, I'm looking at it. It's like, well, it's 17 to 17. What's he going nuts <laughs> about this punter for, you know? And it's just the, uh, it's like, what is the going most, on? That, like how... the most valuable punting game, any punters. Ha-
2: I mean, he's so good. He's so good. Like, I can't express enough how cool and good he is. He has nine different punts. On the last punt of the game, he tr- he threw out a different punt, and I'm convinced it was trying to bait Pac-Man Jones into a fumble. Pac-Man Jones let it bounce and ended up rolling into and, like, stopping dead on the 18 back when we were like, backed up from running. But I'm convinced he hits these punts with, like, a side spin on them, and guys can't catch it. Tyler Lockett fumbles it every time in practice. Like we had, I think, two or three fumbles in the preseason off of punts. Guys can't catch this one punt that he does. And I'm pretty sure that's why uh, Pac Man Jones let this punt bounce. Is he's like, I ain't catching this.
1: Well, I guess there's something to watch for when when <laughs> Tariq Cohen is back receiving punts on, on Monday night.
2: I I mean, that's going to be a great matchup. That's, I mean, and well, and Cohen is just an incredible player, and I think he on offense is going to be able to exploit a Seahawks defense that's likely still going to be down KJ Wright, who is our screen whisperer. Shaquem Griffin and Austin Calitro are both young guys. They're both very athletic. They've got some skills, but their heads aren't there yet. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the screen game is going to be really devastating against us. I feel like Tariq Cohen is going to feast, potentially. And so hopefully we can get in his head with the punting game. You know, keep, keep him on his heels.
1: Well, you know, you, you sound like, um, like, well, you sound like me, actually, because several years ago when I was still in college at Western Illinois University, we had the world's greatest punter. Oh, that's in right. You had Mike Cypress. Mike right? Cypress, who, yes. you know, got drafted by the Chargers, ironically, also in the fifth round, and yeah. punted for them for a decade and a half just about, because he just retired only like two or three years ago at the most, is when Mike yep. finally hung it up. But, you know, he was the super punter out in San Diego for years. And the the things that he did that I witnessed with my own eyes in the flesh, live and in person, just banana. And we we were like, I remember talking with my buddy Ryan Simmons, you know, it was like, dude, we've been talking a half hour about our punter. Yep. Our punter was doing, like, some of the most amazing things. And that team was number two in the country, went deep into the playoffs and, and so on and so forth, and beat Tony Romo in his last uh, college football game in the first round of that playoffs and and everything like that. And we spent a half hour talking about the season that our punter had. And that's yeah. how amazing Cypress was when I got to watch him play every every week uh, during his senior season you sound like me talking about cypress back then that's what you sound like talking well, about dixon and, and i uh, love and
2: i love mike cypress i uh one of my best friends in college was a big chargers fan so i that was and uh, i think we, i was a freshman the year he got drafted and like was aware of him his whole career and how good he was i think he was a little underrated he didn't make too he didn't many make a pro Bowl. I,
1: he did not make yeah, one. And, and I really was always should've. disappointed about that. Yeah.
2: He really he always he probably shouldn't have made an all pro or two. But I'll put it to you this way Mike Seifert's career punting average, I just looked this up, was forty-five point three. His best season punting average was forty-eight point three. Mm. Michael Dixon, 40, 59.5 in his first <laughs> game. Like like that's exactly what we're doing. T- I mean, we are talking about the LeBron to Johnny Heckers Kobe. And he's going to make the world forget about Johnny Hecker, there which you know. for me as a Seahawks fan is all I need because Hecker has tormented us, just tormented us. And I like that we're fighting fire with fire. Meanwhile, the Rams are going out and acquiring Marcus Peters, who made Amari Cooper just completely invisible and getting in Dominick and Sue and like Brandon Cooks. And they're going to probably win 12 games this year. And we're going to fight to win seven with our punter. But we are going to out punt the Rams this year. So help
1: me God. You know, they also made a play for Khalil Mack. Yeah, I read that. I was like, with what? They've (laughs) traded every draft pick they have. What did they have left to give away for Khalil Mack? But, you know, thankfully that didn't happen. But I was like, when I heard the Rams were in serious contention, I was like, with with what? How could they have done that? So, but anyway, um, real quick before we go. Uh, let's talk about Earl yeah. Thomas. Um, Please, it's it was one of the big stories throughout all of training camp. wasn't really so much a big deal during during the summer. The last time that we talked, we did talk about it for a moment, but it, as as the summer went along, as training camp went along, it was something that actually just began to fester. Like the and even when he'd said he was coming back, he did so by giving the giving the Seahawks quite a poke. By saying the disrespected disrespect is is noted and will not be forgotten. You know, it, it reminded me, you know, how old are you?
2: Uh, I'm 32.
1: 32. So I don't know if you're old enough to remember back in the early 90s when Prince, the the singer, was was at odds with his uh, record company. And he wrote the word slave on his face when he was performing on the MTV Music Awards or something like I that. I do remember that. It was yeah. very reminiscent of that, of that. You know, I'm coming to play for this organization I have no love for. I'm going to go out there because I have to and because I'm a player and a teammate and I want to be there for my guys. But, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the Seahawks can kiss my ass.
2: There's a little bit of that. Absolutely. I think he is rightly disappointed and the fact that they haven't extended him. I mean, in the past, when we've had elite guys coming up for their next contract with one year left on the deal, that's when we make that deal happen. There's no reason we shouldn't make Earl Thomas the highest-paid safety in football. We all saw how hard Harrison Smith balled out this weekend. PFF said Harrison Smith was the second-highest-rated safety, and Earl Thomas was the first. That's how well Earl Thomas played. And and, that's without a training camp. Yeah, I was going to say, just coming
1: off the street, that he did that.
2: Exactly. I mean, he had a pick. He tipped another drop pick to McDougal. I mean, he he missed one play all game. All, all game, he missed one play, and that is playing with a host of new guys around him. You you know, Trey Flowers is new. Uh, Shaq Griff- Griffin is new Shaquille's playing on the other side Calitro's in there A whole new passer I mean, it's a new team uh, Barkevius Mingo was new And he was in coverage a lot So you got a whole new unit around this guy No preseason Still comes in as the highest rated safety in football in week one That tells you all you need to know about Earl Thomas And how crucial he is We don't have Earl Thomas on the field Literally, we didn't play him every snap I believe he was rested 10 snaps in those 10 snaps, yards per play doubled compared to when he was on the field. Wow! I mean, that is as stark as it gets in terms of a guy's value. So, yeah, he should be noting the disrespect. I will also say that after the game they interviewed him, and he was like, look, i gotta, I got to make this money. You know, it's too much money to sit out. He's not going to pull a Le'Veon Bell. Sure. But he also talked about playing for his teammates, and you saw how effective he was on the field. He looked awesome. And Pete Carroll, since he's come back, has said all the right things. And they waived all the fines associated with missing training camp. Good for them. And man, they should just pay him, man. They should just make him the highest paid safety in the, the NFL. But even if they don't, even if look, even if this is a swan song for him, he's going to play his heart out, man. That's what Earl Thomas does. Earl Thomas isn't. You know, I I loved having Richard Sherman on the Seahawks. Richard Sherman, now that he's gone, is sniping and like all this stuff in the press and like I that's not Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas cares first and foremost about football, even above ego, even above anything else. He is a grinder. He's a football player. He's awesome. He's like and I hate I'm not like I'm a stats nerd guy, but like Earl Thomas is grit personified. He's that guy. And he also has the great stats, so it works out perfectly. But I'm like, pay this guy. You see what he does. You see the impact he makes. Unless we are tanking, unless we are tanking, and we're not tanking. If we were tanking, we'd have done some things a little differently. You know, you got to have him out there, and you should pay him, and you should keep him there for the next four years.
1: How old is Earl now? 29, I believe. 29, okay. Yeah, uh, so is... it's it's
2: like right on the edge.
1: right. Okay, well, I mean, obviously he's not taking a drop in in productivity. The guy literally came off the street and was the best safety in football uh this past weekend, so i mean i I don't see the risk in i mean even if it's short term, like two or three years it's it's a deal worth making
2: yep well and I mean the way you can you can structure a deal that locks you in for two years that makes him the highest paid safety that third year costs you something to get out of that fourth year doesn't like it's this isn't rocket science just look at the Eric Berry deal and give him $2 million more million or so. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just yeah. do it. Like, it's not rocket science. And we've got the space coming open. Like, next year, this team has cap space. And it, it it's similar to the Raiders. It's like, if you're not going to spend it on this guy, who are you going to spend it on? Right. Like, they yeah. got these first-round picks, and they're going to be going to get the next Khalil Mack, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. Like, similarly, we could go into the safety market trying to get the next Earl Thomas. He ain't out there. Right. There are not a lot of Earl Thomas. There's one other Earl Thomas out there. He's playing for Minnesota. They ain't letting him walk anytime soon.
1: Right. I so, mean, yeah, that was kind of the rationale when 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 people were, were wondering. It's like I know that the Raiders have something that the Bears don't have, and that's a twenty five million dollar a year quarterback. And so, I mean, to pay another guy twenty five million dollars a year, that's going to put a strain on your salary cap. But how many Khalil Max are there? You know, and you're you're taking the risk that you're going to be able to replace a Khalil Mack with a cheaper version with that with the draft pick that you're getting from the Bears. It's just like it's not a risk that I would have. I mean, gen, he's a generational player, yep. and, and you yep. don't want to you don't give that guy up. You don't. I mean, yep. you you just don't exact, do it.
2: Generational player is exactly the right term. And this team got burned on the Camp Chancellor deal, and I wonder if that's why they're a bit gun shy. Cam Chancellor was very good. Cam Chancellor was not a truly generational player. Cam Chancellor's not gonna be in Canton. Earl Thomas is gonna be in Canton. Earl Thomas might be in Canton on a first ballot if he has another couple of great years. And that's something that not a lot of safeties do. I think it's like only two or three ever. He's in that conversation. And again, it's like at at certain positions, generational talent matters. Running back, you only spend for the generational talent. You don't spend it on Rashad Penny. Safety, you only spend on the generational talent. That's Earl. Pass rushers, when you got a generational talent, that's what, second only to having Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. You know, like yeah. moving on from a pass rusher that good is absolutely wild. And getting the chance to acquire one, even if the cost is high. You know, and I mean, the cost that second time, if you guys are as good as I think you might be next year and the Raiders are as yeah. bad as
1: I think they might be That's next year, thing. that yeah. could be
2: that could be just trained back 10, 15 spots in the draft.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that, that was the other thing is like the 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 word is the Raiders made that trade because they thought like I guess it came down to like the Bears and like literally came down to like the Bears and the Packers or like the Bears and the the Rams and they went with the Bears because they thought they'd get a higher pick. Out of the Bears than they would out of a Green Bay or the Rams. The Rams definitely makes sense. Green Bay, not so sure. But um, yeah. you know, it's like you know, even even I would would agree that that's probably going to be the case or would have as far as who's likely to be drafting higher in the in the draft and the, out of those three teams, I would probably pick the Bears, but not by much. You know, no. I, I think we're looking at a at a mid round at the worst coming up next season. There, I think they're trying to. Delude themselves into thinking they're going to get themselves another top ten pick where the Bears have been picking the last several years. I just don't see that happening uh, this I think, time around. I think
2: you guys are going to, uh, if Trubisky develops the way I think both of us think he will mm-hmm. next year, you guys are going to be scary. You guys yeah. are going to be really and really scary. that's
1: the other thing is is that you know I think twenty nineteen. I've been I've been saying this the last several weeks. Is I really do think twenty nineteen is the year that yep. the Bears will make their move. Like, I think we're yep. going to scare some people this year. We're going to win some games we're not supposed to. But overall, I think we're still a somewhere, maybe 10 wins, maybe, but more likely in an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven range this yep. year. And then next year, it's like, you know, even if we don't go out and sign anybody in free agency or draft anybody significant, uh, next, well, I mean, our top pick is going to be a third-round pick next year. But still, you know, it, I really do think that another another year in the system for Trubisky, a full offseason for Khalil Mack, and all the rest of that stuff is really going to make all the difference in 2019. I think the Bears are going to be scary, scary a year from, like legit scary a year from now. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement that a year from now we're going to be having a totally different conversation. Like the, I think the Bears will be part of the national conversation next year as opposed to just kind of being a regional, quote-unquote, sexy pick at this point. Uh, In 2018. Yep.
2: Totally agree. Totally agree.
1: So how do you see the game uh, coming out uh, on 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 Monday? like, what's your (sighs) I I think we played this game before. Like what's best case scenario? What's worst case scenario for the Seahawks on Monday night?
2: Best case scenario is Russell Wilson gets sacked twice, pressured four to five times and therefore has got time to work. Hits for a few explosives, has a big game, avoids turnovers. You know, you're talking about maybe a three-touchdown, no-pick game. Uh, And the defense, we, we do enough to keep trubisky rattled and bobby wagner has a big game you know bobby wagner was where he needed to be on sunday but he didn't flash like double digit tackles i think he only had six five or six which for him is very low if he is getting in there and, and stopping your running backs from getting to that next level i think that's a and then again we're winning that field position battle with both our punting and the fact that maybe we can get some drives going maybe we don't uh trip over own shoelaces on third down every time. Yeah, two, I could see two this out
1: of, two out of 12 on Sunday. 2 out, out of 12,
2: that. not great. Yeah. Not great at all. So that's the good version for the Seahawks. Uh the bad version is six more sacks. The bad version is a couple blown plays in the screen game where you pick up 40 50 yards with Tariq Cohen or Jordan Howard two three times. Maybe Trey Burton comes to play in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Uh because we're okay at defending tight ends, but again, we got question marks in terms of our linebacking core right now. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, and we don't have any—we don't have enough weapons to get those explosives against you. You could win it by ten pretty easily if that happens.
1: Okay, I'll take that. How's that? You how's
2: know? that sound? How's that sound?
1: That works. You know, just it, as long as it's a W. I don't care if it's by one or by ten. As long as huh. it's a win, and we're we're not looking okay. at zero and two for like the fifth season in a row. I'd be very happy. I mean, you're getting Uh,
2: primetime Russ. You're getting primetime Russ. So I wouldn't bank on him fumbling and doing all the nonsense he did on this last weekend. At the same time, it's a lot of young defenders playing on primetime for the first time. Sure. That's not great.
1: Yeah. So I would like to mention, not to rain on your parade. Oh, please. um, We're not going to be at altitude this time around. So (laughs) I don't know. I I was like, I don't want to take anything. I mean, 59 yards, a punt is ridiculous. So. I mean, I I'm be, not going to say I'm not saying that that's all altitude. I'm saying maybe he got a little help from the altitude. I want to be
2: clear. Uh, football outsiders did altitude adjustments.
1: Oh, okay. He
2: still had the most valuable punting game of the last 2 years <laughs> with the altitude adjustment. He's better at close to sea level, arguably, cuz he's Australian and then he went to Texas. He know he's more accurate okay. when he's closer to the sea. I don't know if that's actually true. It just feels true.
1: <laughs>
2: he might not get a 70 That actually yard.
1: sounded really good until you gave it away there. That's, I uh, thought I, well, you had well, no, me well, going there.
2: I will say Pete Carroll said he was worried he would outkick the coverage in Denver, and he uh, only came close to doing that once, and then Denver held on that. And so we ended up pinning him at the 8, even though they did get away from us one time. So you watch out. I'm just saying – you want us missing field. You want us getting into field goal range and then having Janikowski shank it rather than being, you know, around the 30 or 40 and having Dixon pin on the one. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely take that. Well, Spike, I appreciate you coming back on the show, man. It was a great conversation. Uh, looking forward to the game uh, on Monday night. Hope everybody comes out healthy because I know that's been an issue for both our teams. the last uh, The last few years. So win or lose, everybody comes out healthy. You can take your full squad. Who are you playing three week three?
2: Uh, I believe we're in Arizona week three.
1: You, I, uh, or is you that finally week playing four? at home week three?
2: Uh, I think so. That sounds like something we do. Well, hold on. I How do I not know this off the top of my head? This is embarrassing. No, we
1: got Arizona week three. We got Arizona week
2: three. Uh, oh, we got the Cowboys. We got the Cowboys at home, and then we go to Arizona. I see. Those yeah. are both highly those are those are two very broken offenses so we'll give our defense a chance to get their act together before uh before we play the rams so yeah all
1: right well tell us where we can uh find you online where can we find the uh show i'm sure you're going to be heavy on bears talk this week
2: absolutely uh we are doing a bears preview podcast on the locked on seahawks uh i think it'll be out today or yesterday something like that Um, And uh, I write for a paper in Seattle called The Stranger, uh, which is our weekly paper. So if you want to read a weird recap of the game on Monday, do that. I'll tweet it out at Spike Friedman.
1: All right. Spike Friedman from the Locked on Seahawks podcast and The Stranger uh, in Seattle. Thanks so much uh, for being on the show, man. We look forward to talking to you again.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Spike Friedman from the Locked On Seahawks podcast, helping us preview Bears Seahawks for week two on Monday Night Football. Didn't I tell you he was going to gush over that punter? It was kind of ridiculous, wasn't it? <laughs> but then again, I had a story about my favorite punter as well, so I guess we're all in the same boat uh, when you think about it. So, But Monday night, really looking forward to this game on Sunday just because I want to see if this team is resilient, it, and not only will it test the team, it's going to test Nagy. Can he rally the troops and get them to go? Can he get them, get them to forget what happened on Sunday night and move forward? And remember, we do have 15 games left. It is a long season, and one game does not an entire season make. So, you know, everybody's got their work cut out for them because um, even though you know, even though a dedicated fan like Spike Friedman doesn't expect a whole lot out of his team this year, the Seahawks still a good football team and are very capable uh, of beating us. You heard us talk about how, you know, maybe the Seahawks weren't that impressive play to play, but they have the big playability. And when you look at the game on against Green Bay on Sunday night, that's what did us in. Was you know Rodgers and company pulling off the big plays? I mean, it's it's not like. You know, Rodgers led that offense charging down the field 15, 16 play drives and and things like that. They took advantage of bare mistakes, busted coverages and so on and so forth to to take to make big plays. And that's how they were able to make up such a large deficit in such a short period of time. And, you know, you you saw that, uh, you know, that the Seahawks were capable of that as well. Uh, Russell Wilson was 19 of 33, but threw for nearly 300 yards and had three touchdowns on top of it. And all three of those touchdowns were big plays. Uh, 51 yards to Tyler Lockett, 66 yards to that tight end. uh, Wilsley, I think his name was. Um, You know, I mean, just big plays is how Seahawks were able to keep themselves in that game. So, I mean, that's got to be the number one key for the Bears after suffering big plays to Rodgers and Green Bay on Sunday and watching the film that they've most definitely watched from uh, from Sunday afternoon uh, on the Seahawks and the uh, Broncos. You got to avoid giving up the big play, got to avoid, uh, you know, you can't make those kinds of mistakes against these kinds of quarterbacks. Russell Wilson, even though he hasn't been uh, having as much success as of late, still one of the better quarterbacks, probably, you know, on the fringe of that elite level. I mean, he definitely was. Uh, before when seattle was really banging as a team Uh, now it's the russell wilson show and he's trying to get everybody to kind of rally around him he's still the best player on that team and very capable of of gashing and hurting the bears uh, whenever possible so we need to definitely make sure everybody's where they need to be everybody knows who their man is where you know where their coverage zone is and so on and so forth to avoid uh, getting at, uh, to avoid having that happen to us uh, once again. So because, you know, we saw we went into the fourth quarter with a 23 or excuse me, a 20 to three lead going into the fourth quarter. And it was gone in the in the in the blink of an eye, because uh, it uh, I think the Bears actually won the time of possession battle in the fourth quarter against Green Bay. But Green Bay still managed to score 21 points in the fourth quarter to, to win that football game and it was all big play, 75 yards to Cobb, that 40-yard touchdown pass to some dude named Geronimo, uh, you know, and the uh, Devontae Adams touchdown uh, as well. So, I mean, it's just uh, we got to avoid the big play. Uh, We can't can't be susceptible. You you definitely don't want to be that defense. To tell you the truth, man, if I had a choice, (laughs) if I had a choice between being a defense that just had – that was kind of the, the swinging gate, if you will, like the one the Bears had years ago where we gave up like 90, 900 yards a game rushing uh, on defense. I would much rather be that team that basically can't get off the field as opposed to that defense that goes out there and keeps giving up 50 and 60 yard plays because there's nothing more gut-wrenching than just watching, you know, something than having that big play because there's so much that happens because of it there's number one, there's the scoring, there's the points. And then number two, the momentum, you either you you take your crowd out of the game or you bring their crowd into it. I mean, a lot happens and a lot changes, you know, on those big plays. And, and um, we saw that happen on Sunday night uh, against the Packers. We definitely want to avoid that in front of our own people uh, on Monday night as well. And then really, the only other key that I can think of is basically we're going based off of Sunday night and Green Bay because we saw a lot of things that we liked a lot, especially in the first half. Uh, of course, basically, we just need to be as aggressive in the in the first half as we were in the first half of that Green Bay game. Just stay after them. finish, finish, finish. And especially on offense, we need to finish drives, put them in the end zone. And stop settling uh, for field goals. That's where the aggressive part uh, comes in. Stay aggressive on and, and be smarter as well. Jesus Christ, man. We had third and one twice in the fourth quarter. We threw the football both times. Or was it the third quarter? Either way, we're throwing the football on third and one. We got Jordan Howard back there. We got Jordan Howard. And, you know, this was an offense that was running on third and eight last year we can't run on third and one now come on let's not be too clever man if you got to i mean as useless as he can be we got michael burton at fullback put him back there line him up in front of uh, jordan howard run forward and get those three feet uh that's all you need to do don't we don't have to get cute and reinvent the wheel and try to figure out some snazzy way to get third and one just give the football to our uh, to our pro bowl running back and let him get that yard for us i mean he ran like a beast when we did give him the football Uh, on Sunday so give him the opportunity to get us that yard move the sticks keep the football give the defense the rest that they need so that they can go out there and be aggressive when it's their time to be out there so that's really all I have you know we just um, we need to avoid giving up the big play easier said than done just because those things just happen in the blink of an eye for whatever reason one missed mistake one missed assignment Uh, so on and so forth, but we have to avoid that from happening uh, on Monday because we're definitely playing a team that's capable of it. That's how they stayed in the game with Denver on Sunday, not because they had those long methodical drives where they were up and down the field, but because they took advantage of those opportunities that Denver gave them and the Broncos allowed. Because if you look at the stats, Russell Wilson was sacked six times. He threw two or three uh, interceptions in that game. And yet the Broncos only won by three points. They dominated the Broncos dominated the time of possession by 11 minutes, 35, 10, 10 minutes, 35 to 25 on Sunday. Statistically across the board, they should have won by 20 points instead of just three. Why did they only win by three? Because they gave up those big plays to Wilson and uh and the offense so i mean it was those with with all the that the, the denver broncos did to keep wilson and the seahawks down they only gave up three big plays in that whole game and that those three big plays were the difference between winning by 30 and winning in a nail biter by a field goal so that is definitely what the bears want to avoid on sunday is that when we have somebody down the way that we had green bay down on sunday you do whatever you can to keep them down no taking the foot off the gas this isn't the preseason stay aggressive win the game close them out there you go so that will do it for the week two preview episode of the bears talk underground looking forward to coming back on tuesday uh, with the review and hopefully it will be our first victory tuesday uh, or, or actually our only victory tuesday because we only play one in my one monday night game this year but our very first victory episode let's say of the Bears Talk Underground. Uh we'll be back to uh to review the game, knee jerk reactions, so on and so forth. Bear ups and bear downs. Make sure you come back. Don't miss it. Until then, my name is Larry D and this has been Bears Talk Underground. Hey, hey.
2: Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
3: I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.